You're listening to CJSW 90.9 FM. Quiet on the set. Camera speed. Sound production. Take one. Welcome, welcome everyone to Movie Night with Sif. I'm your host, Gabby, and joining me on the podcast today, we have one of the outstanding stars of Joe Pickett, Sharon Lawrence. Throughout her bold and versatile career, Sharon has delighted audiences for over 35 years. You might note her best for her celebrated portrayal of ADA Sylvia Costa Sipowitz in NYPD Blue, for which she earned multiple Emmy Award nominations. She's been in pretty much every iconic TV show you can think of, from Grey's Anatomy, Desperate Housewives, How to Get Away with Murder, Criminal Minds, Curb Your Enthusiasm, you name it, she's done it, and she's always, always left her mark. Today we're talking about her latest project, the television adaptation of CJ Box's beloved New York Times bestselling book series, Joe Pickett. This neo-Western crime drama follows the life of a law enforcement officer who protects wildlife and the environment as he and his family make their way in small-town Wyoming. Sharon plays Joe's mother-in-law, who suddenly finds herself living with her daughter after her husband is arrested for wire fraud. The show, filmed in Alberta, premiered last December and was very well received, with Decider likening it to shows like Ozark, Big Sky, and Yellowstone. Fans of Joe Pickett will be happy to hear the show is coming back for a second season. Here to tell us all about what this hot new thriller has in store is the talented Sharon Lawrence. Sharon, how are you doing today? I am well, Gabby. How are you? Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for coming on the show. I'm doing fantastic. I had a bit of a scramble getting in today, but you know, Calgary weather caught me off guard. It's getting super hot in here. I know you're not from Calgary. You're from North Carolina. How have you been finding it? Well, I've been living in California for 30 years. So the heat is something, specifically Los Angeles. So the heat is something that I expect there. But we got more rain in LA last week than Calgary's had since I've been here. Rain so, in LA. Right, right. And, and I think it also speaks to how dry and how hot and how delayed your fall weather is here. Mm. I gotta say, I, I tell people, I want to I want to come here in the winter. I want to be here in the winter. People say, no, you don't. <laughs> I say, no, I do. I really do. I feel so, so attached to this place. I love my view. I love walking on the Bow River. I, I want to see it change. I want to see the evolution of it. But I realize I'm romanticizing this, that maybe, but no, I, see it, exactly. but maybe I don't want to stay. And this is tricking me, too, because the romance is, is delivering on yeah. the, the beautiful colors and just how, how temperate it is, how comfortable it is to be out at any hour you know i still have to be convinced that it's that it gets rough here pray you never find out it is it is really beautiful i was at princess island park yesterday and the trees i don't know if you've been it's just beautiful it's in full bloom i feel like i live there gabby i've been to no every way. festival that happens there i was at every day of folk festival i was at oh, the, wow. uh, the new alberta day festival i was at the latino festival uh, and last year when we were filming in the pandemic kept most things closed mm-hmm. um, because i live so close that was my daily walk yeah, uh, it was before the Jaipur Bridge was torn down and, and now it's open again and I could get to Kensington that way. I know that park really well. And it is it's just like a beautiful quilt of colors right now. I mean, you sound like a true local. You're like, oh, the bridge is fixed so I can finally get to Eau Claire. Thank God. Listen, as an American, I pay enough taxes that I should be considered. <laughs> <laughs> we love it. We love that you love Calgary because we love having you here. Um, and also, Thank you're you. hopefully going to be spending a lot of time here if the show runs season after season, which, you know, fingers crossed. That's what we want. That's really what we're looking for. Just like outside of weather, though, did anything surprise you? Did you get culture shock? Like Americans who come to Canada get the idea that Canadians are nice, but maybe not necessarily kind. Like maybe it's all a front. This this big Canadian PR conspiracy that we're all nice. 
How do you feel? What have you what has been your experience? I work in an industry that's a people business, right? It's mm-hmm. it's driven by people. Making any kind of presentation, whether it's stage or screen, requires a lot of people. And I have only found good people. And I think that that's because the folks who are running our show have set the tone. So mm-hmm. our showrunners, the filmic team that has adapted the novels and created the look the visual world, and even added elements to what C.J. Box had created for the Joe Pickett anthology, are, they're American, but they are Midwestern, and they're just very steeped in their family commitments. They love each other. They're great partners. There's just a level of respect that comes from them, and they chose a production staff here that has the same qualities. Hmm. People who live here, who've chosen to be here or who were born here, do know that the value of the government is in providing services mm-hmm. and education and care in an equitable intent. Believe me, in the U.S., that's not the case. You've been in literally all my favorite shows. I mean, oh, yeah? Shameless, Desperate Housewives, Grays, that's so my bag. I think about mm-hmm. you as Izzy Stevens' mom probably once a week. Oh, it's my favorite. It's so lovely because it was so I have one of those moms that's also like, how are you? How are you doing? And she's kind of very flamboyant. And it just it really, really spoke to Mm me. Is there any role in particular that people always ask you about? Like, is there one that everyone seems to catch you for? It depends on their age, right? Mm -hmm. For people my age in the middle of their lives, it's it was in my PD Blue because that was such a seminal show uh, at the time, which is the the 90s, right? The last century. My God, but it was the last century. (laughs) It's still is it's how I broke through at least in the television world to the mass media because I had been working on stage in Broadway which just doesn't reach as many people mm-hmm. and she was such a good woman Sylvia Costa Sipowitz was such a good 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 woman I love it when people recognize the things that are a little more obscure or the comedies the the the, the multi-cam sitcoms that's a lot of fun for me because it was a great fit for my skill set, which is coming from the musical theater background. It's all about rhythm and timing and physicality. So I'm always excited when people recognize those shows. Yeah. I love that the younger audiences are so attached to Dynasty and the Hallmark Christmas film. Yes. People love those. You did a second one of your Christmas Christmas house, was it? Because we, we did two of those yeah. and I've done other ones before. And I always play a good woman in those. But in Dynasty, you could say shameless, I'm not really a good woman. In this, in Joe Pickett, I'm an annoying but very entertaining woman. In Queen Sugar, I'm a challenge, I'm a little bit of a mystery, and Mm -hmm. that's always fun. So I I think it just depends on the age of of the person and what they they watch. There are a lot of Rizzoli and Isles fans that are, you know, around your age and maybe, maybe a little older. I'm always interested. I try to guess. What, what it is which one it is which one they're coming up to for that's very very fair now i was going to ask you mentioned like a variety of roles there i noticed throughout your career you've had a chance to take on a ton of characters and work on some pretty iconic shows as someone who's had such a long career is that what keeps it like really exciting for you to like have that variety when people ask me what i prefer i say the variety that's what i want i want i, I like both so the blend is what thrills me Leaving here after the six months of being here, and I'm going straight to New York to do a solo play called The Shot about Catherine Graham, 
one of the most important figures in newspaper publishing, the media, but particularly Mm. newspaper publishing in the 20th century because she was the publisher of the Washington Post when the Pentagon Papers and Watergate was unfolding. She had a very difficult life prior to her taking over the paper. Her husband suffered from bipolar disorder, and that made her life difficult before she took over when he suicided. So she had a lot of trauma. And it's a very difficult role, but it's very satisfying because I'm working with great collaborators, the playwright. Everyone on the team is, is female. We're all grown-ups. We are bringing focus to intimate partner violence, domestic violence. Doing a play, it feels like sacred ground because everyone, the actors, the crew, and the audience all agrees that at that moment in time, this is what the focus will be. There's almost no other place you'd get that. Yeah. You could say a sporting event, but that's not really true because people are on their phones and it is live, but it's not focused. Mm-hmm. You could say that about a church service. I think that's probably the closest too. So that's why I use that term sacred, not because I'm being profane, but because it's, it's a ceremony. Yes. And we, that's not the way film or television works. Right. Absolutely. I think it's so important that you guys are highlighting those issues in that play. I agree completely about theater. It's such a special experience. And there's something about the pandemic that makes you appreciate that even more to be there Mm. in the moment, Mm -hmm. in the room. It only happens then. I mean, it's you see a lot of live performers now, especially for plays and for comedy, like comedians, even they lock people's phone up. They're like, just be here with me and take this in. Don't go home and rewatch it and think it's the same thing because it's not. So I completely agree with what you're saying. Right, because it's a kinetic experience. It isn't just what you're looking at or what you're hearing. It's the vibration of all the people, of of the sound waves, of of the light cues. Yeah, it's not the same thing. And I feel very grateful that my pledge to myself, which is to to do a play every year, uh, it doesn't matter if it's a big a big venue or a big long run mm-hmm. or a big paycheck because it typically isn't. Yeah. But it, it still satisfies. And it's, and I'm also, I go to see a lot. Yeah. I see as much theater as I can. I saw um, Misery the other night at Vertigo. We really enjoyed it. I saw Come From Away when it came through at the Jube. Mm. I, w- I would have seen a- every, as much as I could last year too, but those theaters were not open. Yeah. And I saw Million Dollar Quartet at the, the Arts Center Theater. And I'm really impressed with all of your, your venues here. It's, it, it, this, this town, I understand Calgary had the largest subscriber base for live performance in North America, which is yeah. just brilliant. And, and I congratulate you all. It's a big deal because you're adding to the, to the economy, to the entertainment economy. And that's what your province is doing with the tax incentives. That's what your mayor is doing mm-hmm. with visiting the studios in Los Angeles, like she's done recently with uh, the head of your Calgary Economic Commission and encouraging all the film production that's happening here, which is continuing to increase because this country and certainly this province now recognizes that the entertainment economy is a big deal. Yes, absolutely. No, we've definitely noticed the way that that has impacted 
all of our creatives lives have been impacted by it. I've got, you know, I studied broadcasting and all of my friends are out on sets. Even if they're just carrying equipment, they're like, yeah, but I'm carrying equipment for like this massive movie. Isn't this so cool? And it just Mm -hmm. has been so great to step out into a market that has so much room for us to create. And definitely shout out to everyone working in theater in Calgary. Y'all kill it. And it shows in your dedicated fan bases. And I'm glad to see it recognized by people who come to our city. That's so fantastic. And I'm speaking to you today because of my friendship with Brian Owens, the artistic director at the Calgary International Film Festival. I met him years ago when he was in that same position, actually maybe executive director at the Nashville Film Festival. Mm -hmm. And I was in films that he programmed, and then he asked me to be on the jury to judge. And then he asked if I would write a recommendation letter for him for this position. And I had very mixed feelings because I thought, oh, we're going to lose, we're going to lose him in the States. And yet, you know, he and his husband, Michael, were the first call that I made when I got the word that I'd be shooting here. Yeah. And to see how the community, that film community and all of the things that he's programming and how many local artists and filmmakers are benefiting from that festival, how audiences are able to see films made about your province, about your country, indigenous storytellers. Again, this economy will continue to thrive with investment. And I believe that everybody here that I've spoken to is very serious about it, and that's encouraging. Totally. I mean, just last episode, we had three of our wonderful Alberta Spotlight filmmakers featured on the podcast, and they were talking about how amazing it's been for them to be working. And we love what we do. And we're so glad that SIF has such a, a reach and that people really do feel like they're being culturally enriched and like they're part of the cinematic community coming mm-hmm. to our festival. That's like our point of pride. But enough about how great we are. Let's talk about Missy, shall we? Um, for those that haven't seen Joe Pickett, how would you describe Missy? Well, when we first meet Missy, I think that's a perfect example of how we're envisioning her in in the series, which is a little different than the books. Uh, And that is because a series, we have to condense the stories. Mm -hmm. So you have to concentrate the characters' qualities in ways that make us recognize that when this character shows up, there are certain expectations that will be met. We see Missy in a fancy house in a fancy outfit and overly dramatic because she has once again lost her status Mm -hmm. and she is self-soothing with alcohol. This is the arc for her, her, the first season. Mm -hmm. She picks inappropriate men. Yes. And men are always her crutch. She is the, the mother of adult children and her daughter, who is uh, the center, who she and her husband, Joe Pickett, are the center of our story. And mm-hmm. their young children, their young girls, are salt of the earth, very grounded people. Missy is not, but Missy is also not dumb. She's smart. She came up a, from a hard lot. And the good things in life are what make her feel secure. Mm-hmm. She'll be different in season two. And that's exciting to play, but she'll always have great clothes. <laughs> she's a show pony, yes, but she's a show pony that changes, that evolves, and that's exciting to play. A show pony, but not a one trick pony. She's very, right. she's very versatile. No, I find her so entertaining. I think it's an apt description to say she's like dramatic and a little bit. And she has flair. She definitely brings comedy, like comedic relief, to a show mm-hmm. that can sometimes, you know, of course, very, very serious. You know, I can't speak for the book fans, but 
I didn't mind the differences. I think, you know, when you adapt for a show, obviously things are going to have to change. And what you mentioned is the reason why, because we need relief from the tension of so many of the other um, just tough story points. Mm -hmm. So Missy, you know, you can count on on her to, to be amusing and maybe to also have a good point, but they're relying on and they write it right there on the page and then they let me play. And together we've, we've created something that everybody does enjoy. Love that. So how much did you know about the show going in? Did you read the books? Were you kind of prepped and ready like a fan or what What was the plan there? I had not read the books. Mm-hmm. I like Westerns, but I don't spend a lot of time with them. I knew that Yellowstone was very well regarded. I knew that it was a family drama. And that was it. And that's all I <laughs> all I needed, really, because the character for me was what I knew I was going to be living with and enjoying that and I, I spoke to the to John the Dowdle brothers, John and Drew, and they are the ones that let me know that her energy will be different than any other in the show. So I felt excited to to have the responsibility of bringing that. That's that's something that, with all my years of experience, I know how to do. I know how to I know how to take direction, and I am comfortable being whatever they are identifying that they need. That's yeah. one of my my strong points is coming in and creating a character that you can drop in mm-hmm. and use as a utility player. And I think that, you know, she's very like, you get her, you get her right away. What about this project made it stand out to you as something you wanted to be involved in? Was it part of the environmental aspect of it? I know you're mm-hmm. very into that. Mm-hmm. Yes. My husband and I have a home in the mountains in California. We are, I grew up uh, as a Girl Scout in North Carolina. So I've been an advocate since I had a voice. I got really involved in ocean conservation because I'm a scuba diver and now I'm the chair of the board of a, of an ocean conservation organization. So all those decades and those different touch points for me have given me an understanding that it is such a central value in my life. I get so much from being outside. One of the reasons that I like Calgary so much, but I also know that it requires investment and the tension that we have on the planet is, of course, how will we prioritize the inconveniences that we will have to endure to protect and save the most precious resources that we have. Exactly. And this story tells that because it's set in a very pure world, meaning it's kind of black and white in ways. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I like that we are focusing on it and that just seeing the beauty ha- it will be inspiring. Now, is that what you think makes this like different from other Westerns? Because I did feel like this is not your average Western show. I think the the goodness and the, the moral compass of Joe Pickett is what draws us to how he will solve all of the things that he's presented with, whether mm-hmm. it's the danger to the environment that he has made a pledge to protect, yeah. whether it's the management of resources and people who are unpredictable, whether it's the corruption that exists within bureaucracies or the pain in his own heart from his childhood, which makes him one of the best dads I've ever seen portrayed. I love that. I also, I agree that makes it feel very authentic to me. So last season, we left off with Missy getting sort of kicked out for subjecting her daughter's children to the same sort of neglect. She's, you know, she drinks a lot. What's the outlook for Missy in season two? I know you said we can expect some different things and you can't spoil it really, but what can we, what can viewers expect to see? Well, Missy's now on her own, 
but that doesn't mean that she's not coupled up <laughs> and she's got to make a living. So there are only a few places that you can do that in saddle string. She has skill sets that you might not have expected. She's become independent and she will continue to be a strong advocate for her daughter <laughs> and her granddaughters. There's nobody in town like her. She's definitely a fashion plate. The the wardrobe designers and uh, buyers love shopping for Missy. Everybody loves dressing <laughs> Missy. It's even me. Yes. <laughs> I'm not really a fashion plate in my own life, but I sure do love the fittings and wearing her clothes. Yeah. Well, I'm sure people get bored of putting plaid shirts and jeans together for the Western mm-hmm. folks. Can you imagine? Yeah. We love that Missy's bringing a little bit of a break to that. We do love her, but she is sometimes a little hard to love because she does act a little selfishly at points. Mm-hmm. From an acting perspective, how do you approach embodying that kind of person? Like, how do you find empathy for her, for example? She's a teenager. <laughs> She's just so self-involved, so self-focused. It doesn't mean that she doesn't have good points or that she isn't smart. But her first filter through seeing the world is impulsive, is self-satisfying, self-gratifying. Mm-hmm. What I decided and felt right is that she always has something shiny on. Yes. <laughs> so I imagined that she's like a dragonfly. She flits around and she has that she's got this iridescence about her and it can be so entertaining and compelling and captivating and a lot of work. And I told the girls, the little girls, and they now, they come up to me every time and they look and they go, okay, where's the shiny? Where is it? And so we have fun (laughs) identifying what those pieces are. This cast seems to be a really cool blend of people from all sorts of backgrounds. Have you enjoyed working with your castmates? And I was going to ask if there's any funny onset anecdotes, but you just gave me one. You know, I could joke and say we can't stand each other, uh, of course, as a joke, because we are so tight. Oh, I love that. I'm not ready to go. My husband's friendly with the cast because he's come up a couple of times. And when they go back to L.A., some of them, my husband's having dinner on his own with Patrick (laughs) um, Gallagher, who plays the sheriff, right? We hang out when, when we're not working. The chemistry is just great. These are people that I would want to I would want to spend time with. Seems like it's been a dream working on the show for you. It's been an easy experience, I imagine, Indeed. like kind of fun. Love that. Yeah. Um, it's actually, you know, as we mentioned, a really good time to be in showbiz here in Calgary and basically all throughout Alberta because of our resurgence in the film industry. They're really putting our crews to work. I'm sure you got to interact with the crew. What has been your experience with our hard work in Alberta crews? They're fantastic. And when I say that we enjoy each other. I mean, Cruise, too. I did a movie here, a miniseries here 20 years ago. It was great to be reunited with the makeup artist who I worked with back then. Oh, no way. This season. Yeah, yeah. It seems like it's a small circle, but it's they're so skilled. And they yeah. they love working together. The hours are so long. And I watch that patience, the kindness that they all have with each other. It's baked in. And it really does affect everything. And it sets a good example for all the young ones coming up. Shout out to our Alberta crews for putting in the work. We love you. Now we have to get to the question every guest on Movie Night with Sif has to answer. Can we get to your most embarrassing festival story? Festival stories are a little harder for me because I can't say that anything has been awkward or strange. Well, all right. This is embarrassing, but turns out to be good. Okay. Sundance. Uh, probably 2000. I'd go to Sundance a lot because I ran the Women in Film Foundation for years. That's so awesome. I was going with that coalition. And then 
when I was in Ava DuVernay's Middle of Nowhere, we were Mm -hmm. there as well. But I skied. I'm a pretty good skier, like, you know, blue. That's me. It was a beautiful day. I was on the lift with somebody who'd never skied before, and yet he was a festival colleague. Okay. And he didn't really quite know how to get off the lift, and his skis splayed, (sighs) and one of them caught mine. Oh, no. And I thought, okay, I just got to keep going with him, and I can't push him over or off of me. And I'm hoping maybe he'll unhook himself, but it didn't quite happen. And I ended up doing one of those slow rolls inward as he was pulling one leg away. (laughs) And I felt, and I was a dancer for years and strong, and I felt my knee go, oh, you feel it, hear it. Oh, Uh, my husband is a doctor. That's lucky. I had a cell phone. At that point, I had a cell phone and I pulled it out as I'm lying there because I could tell this is not good. I think I hurt myself. What do I do? He said, don't move it. Don't, don't do anything dumb. Just let him take care of you. Yes. So the ski patrol tucked me in the little toboggan, the sled. It was probably the most beautiful trip I'd ever taken down a, down a ski run because <laughs> I was looking up the whole time at the trees. There was no wind. The, the snow covered the sunshine. It was a lovely trip. I wasn't in pain mm-hmm. at that point, moving around. They x-rayed it. I had torn a meniscus. And they put me in a a brace, and I there I am at Sundance on crutches. Oh no! (laughs) What what a drag, right? Literally a dragging your leg around. Yeah. But silver lining, I always got a great seat because they had to reserve for somebody who needed one. Oh my god! So it turned out to be a good thing. There's the silver lining. I love that. That's and I can't say that I didn't that I didn't have a little you know. Little pain pills along the way, which meant the cold wasn't as bad either. It's perfect. You get in the good, the good yeah. pills, the great seats, the beautiful views. Right. This seems like it's all a plus for me. I hope your meniscus is fine now, 22 years later. My knee is just fine. Ugh, perfect. Okay. I mean, that's all my questions. All that's left to do is play some games. Are you ready? Okay, yes. First game is One Star Reviews. One Star Reviews, we play at every show. In this edition of One Star Reviews, we'll be reading out bad reviews, usually from Letterboxd, which is an app where you can review films. And just this is just regular people. This is not like legitimate reviewers. Given to movies that are bona fide, ooky spooky Halloween classics. So every film in this list is a Halloween movie. And you're going to try and tell me what movie the review is talking about. We'll start off easy. The Sanderson sisters are resurrected and immediately jump into a musical number. I expected nothing less from them. Death Becomes Her? Ooh, wrong. Hocus Pocus. I know, and there's number two out, so. Yes. All right. Not to fret, we have more for you. After 44 years of this mess, I'm starting to think this might all be Jamie Lee Curtis's fault. Okay. Halloween. It is Halloween. (laughs) Very good. Another one of the classics, but (laughs) I realized I was off by a couple of decades. (laughs) You know, it's fine. We got it. We got there in the end. Here's the last one. Not to be dramatic, but I would shoot myself in the foot for my goth queen Winona Ryder. Edward Scissorhands? Ooh. Beetlejuice. Johnny Depp still though, right? No, was Johnny Depp in Beetlejuice? Not quite. It would have been Alec Baldwin and Winona Ryder and... Oh, Michael Keaton. (laughs) 
Our second game, I'm sure you'll be very good at based on your knowledge of our country so far. It's called Canadian or Not. Oh, wow. I'm gonna. <laughs> You're gonna crush it. In Canadian or not, this game is as simple as it sounds. I will give you the name of an actor, show, or film, and you're going to tell me whether it's Canadian or not. Are you ready? Yeah. Emmy award-winning sitcom, Schitt's Creek. Canadian. Canadian, correct. Notoriously nice comedic actor, Robin Williams. No. No, he's American. Very good. (laughs) We also tried to trick you there with the notoriously nice. Yes, you did. Um, Three-time Academy Award-winning film, The Revenant. No, it's not Canadian. No, it's not. It's American. Yeah. (laughs) Excellent. But yes, it was filmed here, right? I do know that. Yeah. Out of the box, in this game, we're going to give you the top five highest grossing films from a calendar year, out of order, and then you're just going to rearrange them in order. You're going to tell us which was the top grossing, going to give you the top five, and you're going to pick the top three. Ready? Yep. The year is 1997. Great year for film. Men in Black. Jurassic Park, The Lost World. Liar, Liar. Mr. Bean. And Titanic. Titanic, Men in Black, Jurassic World. Ooh. So you close. almost got it. You got two. Actually, two out of three. Not bad at all. You got Titanic and Men in Black. Titanic is number one. Men in Black is number three. Bean. So that was the outlier. That was the one that I should have thought. It's so weird. It has to be. All right. Well, that's all we have for you, Sharon. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. We cannot wait to watch season two of Joe Pickett. Do you have any idea on when that's coming out? I don't know. Last year we were out in December. I don't know what they plan this year. Paramount Plus, you can find it now, which is great. Well, you can find season one of Joe Pickett on Prime Video, Canadians out there. If you have a Paramount Plus subscription, you can get all of the episodes right now. And I'm sure season two will be available on that platform and we'll keep you posted. Thank you so much for speaking with us, Sharon. You're so kind to join us today. And we hope you have a great rest of your stay here in Calgary. Okay, that's a wrap. (laughs) 